all your weaknesses, all your fear, your anxiety, you could turn them into superpowers if you have the key. If you don't choose to take action and silencing these negative voices in your head from parents, grandparents, DNA, generational, from friends, colleagues, teachers, bullies, then you're choosing to stay stuck. How do you change your life? You change your life by giving back. You change your life by raising your vibration. It has to match the person that you are working with or who you want to meet. If one person cares about you and says, I'm your mentor, your whole life can change. Welcome to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. This is where I have a chance to share with you some of the latest developments in the space of holistic health, longevity, and wellness. I have always honored intellectual curiosity and scientific rigor combined with real world practicality. My goal is that what you learn here will help you live longer and live better. Hope you enjoy the journey with me. Hi, uh, welcome. This is Dr. Joy Kong. I have a really important guest here, uh, Lisa Haisha. Um, so as you know, I started this program because I am very interested in all subjects that's related to health, healing, and happiness. And I just want to bring more um, wellness and, and, and kind of enjoyment of life to people, um, basically the happiness index. So um, I have Lisa here who had um, been helping people for many years. And um, I just want to introduce you to her. She is a mother, a life coach, an author and transformational speaker. She's also a TV host and a traveler. And um, so she has written a new book called uh, Soul Blazing, Transform Your Imposters into Superpowers and Live a More Purposeful, Authentic Life. That sounds amazing. Um, so yeah, she has interviewed some incredible people. And uh, I just, you know, I want her to start telling us a little bit more about, you know, what she has done and how she has come to the place she's at now. Because I'm, you know, I want to hear a little more of, um, of your journey. So Lisa, share with us your journey. Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> Long journey. We could be here for like hours. Um, it all started when I was a little girl. Um, I think that's where on a serious note, that's where all of our childhood wounds start. And that's when we start putting on masks to be accepted, to be loved. The whole goal in life, I think for all of us is we want to be loved and we want to love someone. At the end of the day, I worked with a lot of people who were passing in hospice and they all said they just want the people that they truly love near them. And what did they do for them? And those moments are the ones that they're retelling. Oh, I remember that time when so-and-so did this and that. It's not about anything else. It's all about love. So that's where I started with, with soul blazing. It really stems from that. And as I was growing up, there was, you know, I grew up in a, under a Baghdad roof in San Diego. So it was a very liberal place, but under my roof, it was not. And we weren't really allowed to go out and see friends so much or go camping or have sleepovers or have people sleep at our house. We could just go to weddings, funerals, baptisms, you know, family events, and once in a while, an hour or two after school, but be home before the streetlights come on. And at funerals, 
there was this woman that would pass out tissue boxes and then she would start berating in Arabic, um, these people, and then they would start crying. And I was just fascinated with that going, what is going on? And then I asked my dad, what he's doing? Oh, that person died. And they're saying, well, why did you do that? He, he's your brother. And he asked you for money for a loan for his business. And you said, no, oh, that's your father. Why didn't you go visit him more? He was dying and you were too busy doing this and that. And all this stuff. And, like, yeah. right? and I think as a child, you don't get it, but all these little things that happen to you get buried inside your subconscious, then that starts creating your story. And then that's one of my stories. And then when I was 16, I was baking a cake a few houses down for a friend whose birthday it was the next day. But I happened to come home when the streetlights were on at around 5.30. And my dad happened to be home at that time because before that he worked 8 a.m. till 11 p.m. And now he was starting to take a little more time off, taking an hour or two off during the day. And he's like, what is going on here? <laughs> what kind of, you know, because I'm one of five girls, teenagers, and to my mom, what kind of a household are you running? She's outside running around like that. And it's my school uniform, Catholic school uniform. My dad just making like, ah, he went crazy and said, send her to an orphanage, call an orphanage. I'm like, what is an orphanage? You know, to get the, me out of the house because I was going to corrupt all the other sisters. And I was such a goody goody and almost straight A's and never doing anything wrong. Daddy's little girl. So I was like, what? It was so confusing. So in your little brain at that time, again, you start creating neural pathways. So I started thinking, who are all these dangerous people? Everyone's out to get you. You could just stay within your community. You have your husband's picked out. This is who we want you to marry. You don't venture out. So I started hitchhiking, sneaking out my window and getting in cars with like Hells Angels types going, my dad said... <laughs> You were the bad guy. I'm supposed to be careful about you. Do you rape people? Do you kill people? Why do you drive such a terrible car? Why are you, why do you have piercings? Why do you have tattoos? Why are you broke? Why did you pick me up? You know, all these questions. So I did that about a dozen times over like a month or two and nobody hurt me. So I'm like, huh, let me, you know, take this in my own hands. And that started opening me up to being super curious of, the world and what else is out there that I've been, you know, kept hostage from. And I decided to move to Los Angeles because then uh, my maternal grandmother came to my house and said, when my mom was younger, the psychic told her that my mom was going to marry a foreigner. You know, she's from Virginia and she married an Iraqi guy from Baghdad and that she was going to have five girls check, check. And one was going to be a star. And I'm like, oh, I got to be the star. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant, but all it meant to me was freedom. Oh, you get, you know, cause the star meant freedom, travel, all this stuff. And I'm like, I get to be it. So I'm like, okay, now what's a star. So I started, you know, researching Lauren Bacall, Marilyn Monroe, all these great people, Betty Davis, Liz Taylor. Oh, this is what a star is. And looking at their lives going, okay, I've got to start creating my life mirroring what theirs is. So then I decided to move to LA at 22 to become an actress, disowned all this, left a note. And I happened to meet um, one of Madonna's band mates. You know, she, he was an arranger and keyboardist. And he said, come here, come watch Madonna here, come watch Madonna there. And I'm like, I can't, I can't travel. I can't travel. This was right before I moved. And then finally I ended up going to New York and meeting Madonna and going to her five day concert there. 
And she said, I said, how did you become Madonna? How did you escape from a patriarchal father? You know, cause hers is from Italy and she had a big family and how did you create you? And she said, what you should do is travel and travel alone. Cause you don't know yourself, mm. which again, is your imposters because all you know is you're being created and molded by the beliefs of your parents, your relatives and the DNA of generations past. So that's what your subconscious is made of. And that's where I'm scared to do this, or I'm shy about that. All that's not really you. It's all the building blocks that have become you. So I went, oh, travel alone. I haven't even traveled. So anyway, off I went to Europe and did a 10 city tour, you know, through about eight different countries and had a blast and everything happened to me. I got ripped off here, got ripped off there. It was there. <laughs> I da, 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 da. I had to call my dad. Someone stole everything. Send me money, send me this. And he's like, what are you doing in Europe? I'm like, sorry, you know, yell at me when I get home. I just need help now and came back. And, but then I was addicted and I said, okay, travel has got to become a part of my life. And I started building myself, but then I started acting in almost every role I got as an ingenue, three seconds of nudity, eight seconds of nudity, wet t-shirt, you have this love scene, you have this, you have that. Even I got young and the restless and the, I had to do a love scene under the covers. I'm like, I can't simulate sex. Even if I'm dressed, my father, Uncle Najib, Uncle Habib, Uncle Azawi, da, 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 all the, I said, I can't. Because my dad said, one foot in my grave. If you ever do anything, you'll embarrass not only your sisters, but all your cousins. And a lot of them, my dad was a 14th child. A lot of them had five to nine children. And you know, from your ancestry, that family is everything and you ruin the whole name. So I'm like, oh, I can't be an actress. Everything I'm trying to do, I can't. So who am I? What am I? So then I decided to go to Iraq and find my roots and talk to Saddam Hussein. <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. Did you talk to him? Well, I was going through a time where it's hard to explain because it wasn't like a lot of people suffer, but for me, it was like, okay, I, I, my whole life, I thought I was going to be an actress. I had no plan B. What am I going to do now? I got invited to go to Tokyo to model and do commercials. So I went off and did that. So I made a nice chunk of change. And then I said, okay, now what? And then I fell in love with Christiane Anapur, who's the uh, war reporter. She's Persian. And I thought I would love her job. That would be interesting. And she's always nice and professional, and, <laughs> you know, and I thought it was an exciting job. And, you know, I wanted something that was changing and shifting that included travel. Let me fly to Bosnia, then Afghanistan, Iraq, and all these places and meet all incredible heroes and people, change makers. And so I thought I can't go to school for that because I already went to school and I already, you know, have my BA and I didn't want to go through the journey that you're supposed to go through. So I thought, as I was watching the news, if you take the bus from Jordan to Iraq, it's an 18 hour bus ride. And Al Qaeda was kidnapping Americans or ripping off Americans. And there was, cause there's no direct flights to Iraq. So I said, why don't I go to Jordan? And then I'm going to take that 18 hour bus ride and I'll get kidnapped. Then I could co-write a book with Al Qaeda then I'll be a bestseller. Then I'm going to get on all the new shows. And then I could be Christian Anapur. At a risk of your life. And I realize now in retrospect, it was when, when I know a lot of people could relate to this now, when you, you're feeling helpless or you're feeling 
what's the point of living? And you just look at everything around you and everything's collapsing. And if you don't really have money, you don't really have a future. You're not in love. Everything's, you don't feel connected to anything. You don't take life as seriously. And I understand how there could be jihad or people could blow themselves up for the sake of a cause because they don't value their life and they don't, they're brought up to not care about themselves. They're brought up with so much torture and watching videos. This is why I learned from traveling there. They're trained watching hor horrific videos and have a gun in their hand at age two, three, four. So they don't care about life or they don't have a life. So I'm going, that's why. But I wasn't that extreme, of course, but I didn't value my life. I'm going, if this is my life day in, day out, day in, day out, and I'm, it's immature thinking, but that's where I was at the time. I thought, I don't even care if I live or not, because I can't live such a mundane life, just get up every day to just work for someone for minimum wage all day and then go home, rinse and repeat. I said, I just can't. So I decided to take this journey. And then when I was in Jordan, I saw this woman there and I said, what are you doing? Are you going to Jordan? She said, oh, no, Iraq. I said, oh, where's your family? And she said, oh, I'm by myself. I go, you're going to Iraq by yourself? Are you crazy? <laughs> and she's like, no. And I said, why are you going? Because oh, I want to kill myself. And she was around my age and she was an attorney. Um, and I said, oh, I'm going there to get kidnapped. Why don't you join me? And I told her my plan. <laughs> and she's like, okay, all right, let's join forces. So we joined oh, forces. God. So on the bus, I had a Louis Vuitton bag. I had cubic zirconia. Anytime they come to do this, oh, my diamonds. Oops, let, oh, my Louis Vuitton. Oh, here's the passport. They would say, thank you, Habibi. I'm like, ah, no one's hurting me. No one's doing anything. <laughs> so, so how did you go from that, you know, kind of a daredevil to, you know, to wanting to really value your life and living a very fulfilling one and, 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 and probably, you know, and then helping others, like how, what, what was the transformation? It actually happened in Iraq because I can't get into all the stories or we'll be here every day. And that'll be my next book called under a Baghdad roof, which I'm finishing up soon, but it is, I started traveling around Baghdad, asked to meet Saddam and asked to meet Uday and Kuse and all these people. And I ended up getting to meet the prime minister and the vice president, Taha Ramadan, getting to interview and talk to, and I got questions answered, but it's a lot of um, fun and crazy experiences that happened there also. But then I thought, let me go to Tilkap, the small Christian town that my dad was from and her father was from. She was also Christian Iraqi. So we went there and it was so small. It just had like a ice cream truck and it had a school you know, uh, an orphanage and like a little grocery store, just the very basics. I'm like, that's the orphanage my dad had in his mind. So I went to that orphanage and I started talking to the children. They're like, why do you hate us? My father died. My uncle lost his leg. This happened, that happened. I'm like, we don't hate you. It's the government. And I'm like, no, as soon as you leave, you guys are going to bomb us. Cause this is during the Gulf war. And I said, oh, I'm not going to bomb you. And, you know, trying to talk with them. And I said, okay, I'm going to memorialize your words. I'm going to share with the world who you are and give you a voice. And they like, okay. Then when I left, I'm like, how am I going to do that? I have no plan. And then I came back home going, what am I going to do with this? And I took video and I recorded some and I started writing it down. And then I had a job going to, um, different trade shows around the world with a Japanese company. So I was getting sent to Prague, Taiwan, uh, Macau, Hong Kong, Japan, all these places. 
So I thought, oh, I'm going to stay two, three weeks. So every place I went, then I went to orphanages and said, oh, can I stay in the orphanage? Can I do this? Can I do that? I started interviewing kids. So that led me on a five-year, 15 orphanage um, tour. And then I ended up writing a book called Whispers from Children's Hearts. Mm -hmm. And I self-published it with my husband at the time. And then we started giving it to schools and libraries. Then I started getting asked to speak. Will you speak here? Will you speak there? And then I took my daughter to Spain, Barcelona for first grade. Then everyone there said, oh, let me speak. And since you're a foreigner, then the mayor got wind of it and asked me to speak in front of like a thousand people. Then from that, will you speak at our school? You Then in France and Portugal, all over London. Now I'm speaking everyone in Israel. And now I became a speaker. I'm like, oh, I don't speak. I don't do anything. I'm just this little girl, you know, I don't want to be in the limelight like that. But it was mainly started off at like grade school, second grade, third grade. So I got a globe and wrote these fun facts about each country. Did you know that in Singapore, if you chew gum that you could get arrested? Oh, really? And then mm-hmm. did you know? And all these fun things. I made it fun. And I taught him to say hello and goodbye. And I love you in each language and played the music and taught him a dance from each culture. And something tried food and so I made it fun and then that just grew to high school to colleges to corporations to women's groups to whatever inspirational things to speaking at charities and big global events and it just took off from there and I go mm-hmm. I guess I'm a speaker you know <laughs> so yeah so what were the messages that what were you trying to tell people in in all you know what 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 are you trying to bring out of them or or instill in them in all these speaking events well, I think the main thing it goes right back to soul blazing, where you could transform all what I, what I call your imposters. It's really all your weaknesses, all your fear, your anxiety. You could turn them into superpowers if you have the key. Mm. And everything that is making you suicidal or making you sad or making you not live your best life or holding you back, all the demons in your head that are chattering. Why you? Why are you writing a book? That's already talked about. It took me. I did the book signing that you were at and someone came up to me and said, oh, I heard you speak at the Conscious Life Expo in 2005. And you said, oh, I'm writing a book called Soul Blazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My talk was about soul blazing. And he said, you said you're writing the book. Okay, look how long that it's been. And during that time, I traveled to over 60 countries during 2005 now. And I worked with people all over the world from millionaires, one billionaire in Japan to, you know, people in mulas in Jordan, um, Bedouins that had five wives and Petra. And I mean, everyone went, worked with the Sufi, stayed with the shamans in Peru, did everything. And hundreds of people then got a master's in spiritual psychology, then worked in prisons, worked in foster homes, foster care here. So all these children. So I felt it wasn't ready to be born then. And this is like the fifth or sixth iteration because I got, it has to be simple. It has to be simple. I want a sixth grader to be able to read it and a PhD to be able to read it in psychology and get something from it. And it was still just the format. How am I going to tell the stories? So finally, when it all went ding, 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 I said, this is it. Let me sit and write this. So I created it this way. So it's been in the works, massaging the stories, recording sessions and all that stuff. So I could really have some juice of sharing. This is how it works. And this is how you rid yourself of imposters. Because if you don't work on your imposters, especially every time you have a negative thought, that's your imposter. That's a wound that happened to you. Someone who cursed you really saying, 
you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Who, who are you to think you can do that? Why would you do that? There's other people who are smarter who could do it better than you. So every time you do that, you're casting a spell. That's why words, it's spelling. You're casting a spell on yourself saying, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to achieve. So as soon as you flip that switch and come into your authentic soul, who we were born to be, your authentic soul is the visionary. It has power and it is truly who you came here to be. We all have a gift and we're supposed to give that gift away. And we have to go on our hero's journey to discover that gift. So Iraq was my hero's journey. So now the main message is, if you don't choose to take action and silencing these negative voices in your head from parents, grandparents, DNA, generational, from friends, colleagues, teachers, bullies, then you're choosing to stay stuck. And that's on you. Otherwise, you're being a victim and quit asking other people to rescue you because it's really you have to rescue yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I understand that uh, the imposters you're talking about is really about impositions from the outside since you were a little kid. And that forms this new identity that you think is you, but actually it's not you. Correct. Um, and then I know you, you have worked with, you know, you do coaching with celebrities, with, you know, entrepreneurs. How do you help them move forward and be more successful in life? Really what I was just talking about when, when you give them tools and the book, soul blazing, <laughs> there's tools at the end of the book and exercises to do. When you start doing these and doing them daily, it starts to shift your consciousness and changing your life. And step one is dealing with the imposters, which you know are the dark voices and all your negative voices in your head. And the way I did it, that's different from other people. First of all, other people say you could just get rid of them. I don't think you could get rid of them. I think you have to befriend them because it's your wounded inner child, like your little girl inside saying, please love me. If you just go, you know what? I'm going to cut you out and toss you. It doesn't work because you'll still long for that. Or there's going to be a hole inside of you. I think you have to befriend it and love it back into your system where you're working together. So that's why I say you have to team up. I look at your imposters kind of like a, a pit bull. If a pit bull is trained to attack, it's going to bite you and bite, you know, your loved ones possibly bite strangers. But if the, it's brought up to love and, and being nurtured, it'll protect you. And it's not going to turn, you know, turn on you or turn on others. So your imposters are kind of like pit bulls. You got to nurture them to be in a loving state. Then they won't sabotage your life. And another way I like to try to share is it's like a, a ball of yarn in your head. You know, here are the yellow strands, the blue strands, the red strands. Now they're all like this of, oh, I want this career. I want this relationship. I need this much money. I want it, but it's all jumbled. And unless you could really simplify your life and go, who am I? What do I want? What is my gift? And how do I give it to the world? When you just say, I want to be a millionaire, which is what a lot of people do. You're never going to get it. Or if you just get a Louise Hay book of affirmations, I am happy. I am financially abundant. It doesn't work because it's not coming from your core. And the length of time you have to do that kind of work depends on how broken you are. So I, when I was starting on this journey and I did a lot of trial and error, but when I was doing it, when I started a morning routine, which is the key and which is what I teach a lot of people and I help them practice it, it is getting up and doing something for your mind, body, heart, and soul. 
So I get up every morning, I'll move for, you could do it in 15 minutes or an hour or two hours, depending on how much time you have, but at least two minutes, stretch your body, write down three gratitudes. You woke up just, my eyes are open. You know, I hear birds chirping, whatever it is you could muster up and then do something for your mind. I read something, you know, spiritual material or you know, whatever moves my soul, just so I'm starting the day on a good note. And I don't do social media or muse until later in the day. Then I, I usually get up and go for a walk for three miles or something. Cause I find that, but in the beginning, I couldn't do that. I was so busy. I've got this going on. I've got that going on. So I just, you know, I do YouTube, you know, 10 minute abs or 10 minute stretches and just do it at my house. And so whatever you do, but you have to be honest with yourself you, we are the biggest liars to ourselves. We don't tell ourselves the truth. And once you stop really trusting you, you don't believe in you. So that's why you start sabotaging yourself because you're going, Oh, I'm probably not going to reach that goal anyway. Why should I, you know, I want that chocolate cake tonight. I'm probably not going to lose the weight anyway. I'm going to get off it tomorrow, whatever it is. But once you start going, Wow, I did it, you know, and making your bed every day is important because that's so easy. Then you accomplish something and you start feeling good. You could just even throw the covers up. Not even make it fully, just the simplest things, even just touch your toes three times, you know, for five seconds, just start off small, but then you go, okay, I could do it now for 10 minutes a day. Now I could do 15 minutes a day and build up till it's like an hour a day. And I would say, get up that extra half an hour or hour and get this stuff done because this is your life. You're either going to live a life or you're going to regret, you know, I have this exercise called day one because we're always okay back to day one. Okay. I'm going to start again. I'm going to start writing that book every day. I'm going to actually lose the weight instead of yo-yoing. I'm going to do this because so many of my clients and I have group sessions, zoom I have in Berlin, two in India and one in London. And we've been going, okay, everyone's doing this. And they, oh, I messed up. I had this party or I did this. And I'm like, okay, day one again. That's just day one again. I'm like, okay, guys, we got to get to day two and stick to day two and start the day two or three. Let's get seven days solid. And it is so hard mm-hmm. in the beginning. It is so hard because we're training our mind and our mind is going, oh my God, there's a war here. Oh my God, there's a burglary here. Oh, my mom's sick. My friend has cancer. My my daughter is going some, through something in school. My son, this, whatever it is, so many distractions. My finances, my health, my whatever it is, my car broke down. These are all stuff I hear from people. And you have to tune it all out and just say, the morning is mine. If you don't own the morning, your day is owned by someone else. It's owned by your imposters and it's gone. The whole day is gone. If you don't own the first 15 minutes, I really think an hour eventually, but the first 15 minutes of your morning, that means you are choosing the life you have right now. You are choosing to be a victim. You are choosing to be um, not sufficiently where you want to be in your career or relationships or finances, because to be all those things, it takes a lot of responsibility. All the millionaires and billionaires I've interviewed, they say, everyone asks them for money. Everyone has their hand out. Everybody needs something from them. They lose a lot of friends because then people can't relate to them because they have money. And, oh, I can't relate to you. And you have this. And now I feel shitty about myself. It's like, well, join them. Mm-hmm. I always hung around with people that are more successful than me so I could grow. And because it's all about vibration. When you're saying, God, I want to be an actress or I want to do this or I want to write a book or I need to meet this person to get on this show, whatever it is. 
It is how are you vibrating to the world? And if you're vibrating at a lower level, you could just walk in the room. You know, I wrote and directed and produced a movie in Tokyo. That's a whole nother story, but I raised a million dollars and then I started to cast. And when people were in walking in the door, I knew right away, no, or yes, they didn't have to open their mouth. They didn't have to say one word of dialogue. It's how they walked in energetically. Oh, this character is this way. Nope. Thank you. I could just say thank you and just let them turn around and walk out. And that's how we are in life. So if you're going to present yourself as, you know, I'm a victim, I'm a fraud, I'm a, I'm a poser, I'm a grabby, grabby person, I'm just here to make contacts. And, you know, people see that, hi, how are you? Um, oh, nice to meet you. Is there looking at the person over your shoulder? Because, oh, there's another person. Oh, you can't help me really? Okay, bye. How about you? And you're so fascinating. Oh, you can't help me next. You know, that's why <laughs> I see at all the parties, even at my party. I'm like, oh my God. We had to kick two people out because they had their book peddling their book. Will you buy my book? Like you don't do that at someone else's book launch. So a couple of the people that were running my book launch said, oh my God, I had to kick this person out and that person out. They actually brought their book, pushing their book. And that's just so not okay, just energetically. And it's just like, (laughs) right? So, So you have to look at all those things and you have to be able to be supportive of other people and happy for other people and be someone for them. And then there's someone for you. When I was just starting out, I did so much volunteer work. Mm. Anytime I was depressed, I'd go on volunteer.org and just do volunteer work, you know, once a week or twice a week for three hours, two hours. And it mainly was teaching writing for foster kids. And I got so much from that because when you're helping someone else, you start feeling better about yourself. You start because it helps you. Then you're going, God, I'm not just sitting around. I didn't just sit around and waste the day. I actually did something for someone else, especially when someone's like, oh my God, thank you. And you could see their growth. Now you have value. Um, so when I used to take people on retreats and workshops, soul blazing retreats, you know, we went to Bali, Costa Rica twice, Tanzania twice. Anyway, like Barcelona and this Granada, a little in a yurt in Granada. Mm-hmm. But like in Tanzania, we would go and stay in um, Bedouin tents. To what I, these were smaller ones, like in Tanzania, because it only held 12. And um, then each morning we would go and work with Maasai tribe, work with the children, do this or that. Then at nighttime, we would go into our little place, this gorgeous like room with a big fireplace. And we'd keep all the lights out and light candles and the fire. Then we would do soul blazing. But once you're going out there and doing something for other people, everyone brought a suitcase for gifts for everyone. That was part of the uh, deal for the retreat, you know, t-shirts, pencils, medicine, clothing, you know, whatever unique to their city from wherever they are. Like, since I'm here, I brought Hollywood stuff. And so if you're from London or from Australia, wherever people came from, they brought something. Then we went and knocked on doors like Oprah and said, hi, what do you guys need? Oh, you need bunk beds. Oh, you need a goat or something. You need chickens. You need regular food. Your children need uh, shoes. You need clothes. Then we would hire locals to do it. So every penny would go to them. That was with my nonprofit Whispers from Children's Hearts. So everything would go to the families and the kids. And then you come back and you do soul blazing and you feel good about yourself and you could see the shift in people from day one to day 12 was extraordinary because now they just spent two weeks being of service and servicing themselves, ridding their imposters of my life's boring. I have nothing to give. Who am I? I have no family. I have no community. Now they had strong family, strong community within us. And they felt, wow, look at everything I can give. It doesn't have to be 
you know, giving a million dollars, you're giving of yourself. And when you're giving with community, you could see how much you could give as a unit compared to just you, because all of our collaborative skills came into play. And you see these people going, Oh, I can't believe this is like, what, what happened? You know, cause I don't know. It's just random that we went to people's homes. So that was just like an extraordinary time. And that taught me listening to all these people. How do you change your life? You change your life by giving back. You change your life by raising your vibration. It has to match the person that you are working with or who you want to meet. I used to live across the street from Sandra Bullock when I was just starting here and she just got speed too. And she said, Oh, I got this really bad movie. They fired the main person and you know, it's a bus driver and it's, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to go to Europe. It's because I don't want to be here for all the bad re- reviews when they start trashing me. <laughs> and she came back and she was a huge star. And I said, how did you do this? How, what was your journey like? Cause she was across the street from me for three years. How did you all of a sudden you're just little Sandra and now you're Sandra, you know? And she said every Friday night, she had a play reading at her house. Cause she wanted to be an actress. I know so many actors and you know, you were here, you, you know, my husband, my ex-husband, sort of now. Um, but you know, he co-created a couple of big shows. And so I saw a lot of the casting. I saw a lot of the actors. I saw a lot of this and that. And she said, she went to those people, two people a day that she did not know a casting person and a director or a producer walked in and gave her a headshot. Even if she couldn't get past the guards, you know, the gatekeeper, she still met the person in charge of that big person who could change her life. And every Friday she had a play reading. She picked a play and had two or three of her friends come over, depending on the characters in the play. And they performed for themselves. They read through it. And that is dedication. And so many people I know that are not successful, they're sitting home. Oh my God, at Starbucks complaining about they're not getting work and their agent sucks. And can you believe these people are soaring and I'm not, they don't even have talent. They must've slept them way to them. They must've done this. They know somebody that, no, they're working. Yes, some people have sorted paths of how they made it, but the bottom line is they're hungry. While you're sitting here complaining, why aren't you in acting class? Why aren't you writing your own screenplay? Why aren't you out meeting people? Why aren't you dressed better? You know, why don't you, why aren't you put together? If someone just meets you here, you look like a depressed, unemployed person, you know? So it's, you got to present yourself each day. Yeah. And the, the concept is so blazing. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, you know, can you explain exactly what that means? It's blazing your soul out of like a rut. And the way you blaze it is through love and through giving, you know, once you're on fire, there's nothing stopping you because you're inspired and you know, your soul's calling and you've experienced it. You've experienced such depths of love by giving. When you see the faces and all these children's eyes, that's when I started to do my transformation was working at all these orphanages. And I thought I was just, Oh, I've got to get these stories down. I didn't know that that was transforming me into who I was going to be. I didn't know it was going to turn me into a speaker and an author that was never in my plans. I was going to be an actress. And it was like, okay, I'm going to die because I can't do that. And I have no other skills. So that's all I planned on being. I wanted no plan B. So bye world. <laughs> I'm going to go. I can't kill myself. Otherwise it looks bad on the family. So I'm going to let someone else do it. Or I'm going to befriend someone and write a book and become Christian Anapur. Those are my options. And I'm like, either way, I'm good. I can't live this life of who am I? What am I? Poor me. And I'm broke. And 
I just couldn't live it in the acts of service or yes. just trying to understand the world and by just being brave and go out there. That's how you were blazing the soul in a sense yeah. that you were yeah. blasting your pre-existing notions about who you are and what the world is like. You have to invent you. Otherwise somebody else's be you. Everyone else is taken. But if you don't know who you are, you just say, Oh, I'm a star. And I'm gonna... no, you're not. <laughs> you got to do the work first. Who are you? And there's a lot of people who became famous, but you see them, they turn into drug addicts, alcoholics, they lose all their money because they didn't do the work. I've worked with so many people on all these sets, so many big actors, so many stories. And the ones that did the work are the ones that are steady and are climbing up that you see are still married, that you see have morals, that you see really pick and choose who they hang out with and what they do. You don't see them in the tabloids all the time. They avoid that. They go live in like Idaho or something or Wyoming and they stay out of, you know, they just do the good work and leave, you know, do their little press tour, what they're obligated to do, then goodbye. Then they're in hibernation for a couple of years. Sandra's done that lately. If you've noticed, you don't see her at all mm. in the news. And now she has a big movie. She'll do the press junket. Then she's gone again, back to New Orleans and, you know, just being a mom and hiding out because she doesn't want the publicity because she's done the work in order to be rich and happy you have to have your soul blazed <laughs> you really have to go out and do the hero's journey who am i what is it i actually want and if you don't know step one is to do volunteer work once you start giving back you start opening up and meditating i meditated like a fiend before i still do but not like before before it was like an hour two hours or three hours a day and i would go travel so much alone and just sit in these beautiful places and in kyoto and nepal all these like ashrams and just watch you know talk to rocks hug trees talk to ants talk to anything that was there i would just like what's your story are are you real are you who are you trees they say nature has all the answers god you know they said thinking, you know, I can totally all these great writers, Gary Zukoff, everyone says the same thing. All the answers are there. You don't need a guru. You don't need a teacher ask and you, you shall receive. So I'm going, okay, I'm asking. And I think slowly without even knowing it, cause I go, Oh yeah. Right. Or toss thoughts or messages away. But then I started getting real answers and I started going, Oh, that makes sense. Or I get aha moments like downloads. Oh, I should write that down. That's interesting. And then I start going, oh, I need you to maybe write a book. And, you know, Gary Zukov says when your personality is in alignment with your authentic soul, that's when miracles happen. And that's what soul blazing is. I'm trying to align your imposters, which is your personality with your soul through exercises, through travel, through, you know, time together. We eye gaze. When you look someone in the eyes, they can't really lie. That's why they say the eyes are the secret to your soul. You go like this and something breaks down. And that's how I got the name soul blazing. When I was working in prisons, I got assigned the bully of the prison on my last day. There it was a four day trip. And I worked with a lot of people there, a couple of dozen. The very last one was the worst bully of the whole prison that any new people would come in. She would just terrorize them and let them know she's boss. And you listen to me and everything you make, you have to give me a percentage of, and I'll beat you up and all that stuff. 
And I'm like, hi, how are you? And talking, the other ones were all, okay, great. Let's talk. Cause they wanted to get better. They wanted insights. And she's like, I've been in here for 23 years. There's nothing you could say or do that's going to change that. And I'm in here for life. So there's nothing you can do or change. That's going to change that. So why should I change? And I'm just here because if you see a therapist or sign up for these things, when therapists or what self-help stuff comes to the prison, they get an extra privilege, they get something. So she's because I'm just here to get a, you know, perk, that's it. And I'm like looking at her going, okay. And she looked, she was mean. She was bald, shaved, you know, head. She had a snake tattoo coiled around her scalp that went down her like, you know, bulging biceps. And it was just like intimidating. She's like, who do you think you are? Someone like you who thinks you could fix me. You have no idea who I am. There's no way you could relate to my life story, live growing up in the ghetto and all that. So I'm like, okay, listen, and I called her Bella. Listen. I, you have something in you. Let me, let me look in your eyes. And I said, you have the devil in you. And that's why you're this and that. And I just went down on her and I was kind of being the Mathena that I learned without knowing what I was doing, what I learned from childhood, you know, just trying to make her cry, wake her up. And then she's like, you can't talk to me. And I'm like, slow down, slow down. It looks like she was going to jump me. And I'm like, ah, the guards are around the room. But I'm like, ah, still was very dangerous. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, just bear with me. And we started talking. And then I'm going, I, hang on. She's like, what? I go, I have the devil inside me too. We all do. We all have good and evil. We all do this. I may not have murdered someone, but I certainly hurt people emotionally. And, or I've done bad things because that's we're on earth school. We're all spiritual beings having a human experience. So what you did was extra mile, but I'm sure you had your reasons for it because of how you grew up. That's normal for you. My dad grew up in Iraq. You know, he pulled guns on people. He did this, he did, because that's what he knows. He doesn't mean it's just, that's what you do to protect family. That's what you do to, everyone does what they're brought up to do. That's why people beat up their spouse. That's what I saw my parents doing their parents. So I said, you're just imitating what you knew, but once your soul is blazed, you know, you'll be different. And she's like, well, I hate your stupid briefcase. I'm like, I hate my briefcase too. <laughs> I, said, I brought it here to impress you. I said, obviously I was wrong. That's my imposter. I, but listen, Bella. So I started talking to her and I said, let's hold hands. And I looked her in the eyes and I just saying, I love you. I love you. And quiet and just like that for like two, three minutes. And I love you. And all of a sudden she starts crying. I'm like, you could be the angel here. You could be welcoming people and showing them the ropes. You could raise money for battered women. You could do this. You could do that. And by the end of the session, she was crying and said, Lisa, you just blazed my soul. I said, Bella, you just gave me the name for my business. I'm not a life coach. I'm a soul blazer. I said, you said you had nothing else to give. Now with the name, it's going to help me get become bigger and heal more people. You know, so she's like, oh, you know, sure you're going to call it. I said, yes, in honor of you, it's going to be called oh, wow. soul bleeding. Yeah. And then six months later, she had raised like thousands of dollars for battered women on a payphone. And then the uh, chaplain said, what did you do to her? What happened? I go, I don't know. I guess I blazed her soul. So it's like, come back. We want you to work more and, you know, do this, do that. Because usually they give you a script and tell you limitations because they're dangerous people and whatever. But it's taking a chance. It was almost the same as me getting, you know, on that bus. It's like, okay, I'm going to take a challenge here and get on that bus with her by getting in her face and mirroring her like the Mathena did to make people feel sad and hurt to wake something up in them where they lash out so they could feel something and be present. And now I have something to work with, but, but it was a, it was a, you know, something that, could have backfired, of course. But I think when, again, when I'm talking about vibration, 
when you're coming from a place where people could feel that, oh, she really wants to help me. She's really on my side. It's a fine line too, because you could say, my husband used to say, oh, you could tell someone to fuck off and like, oh my God, I love her. And I say, I love you to someone. They go, God, what an asshole, because he's got a more uh, prickly personality. So he's, so it's all in the way you say it and walking that fine line of going, look, we're in this together. I'm here to help you. Then that they feel that you could say and get away with whatever you want, mm-hmm. because they know it's coming from a place of love and giving a gift. Yeah. So I trusted that. And then when I've traveled, I've trusted that too. And that's what I was going to do with ISIS and all that stuff. I'm going to let them know, look, we're on the same team. I need to understand why you're doing this and let me help you not have to do this anymore. That was naive, but you know, I, that was my goal at the time thinking, oh, I can do that because everyone could be changed. Cause after working with Bella, oh, everyone could be changed. You know, we just, you have to know, they have to understand who they are and what's their potential. And they have to have at least one person care about them. If one person cares about you and says, I'm your mentor, your whole life can change. That's all we need in this world is one person. If you don't have anyone, you have nothing to lose. And that's when you go, oh, let me go kill someone. Let me go rob someone. Let me, and you don't have any feelings because you don't have love. So mm-hmm. if you don't have self-love, you don't allow love in and you yeah. can't love you push love away. So. That's an incredible story of, mm-hmm. uh, of how even just the word soul blazing came to be. That's really incredible. And, and then you are definitely, there's a daredevil inside of you Yeah. <laughs> from, uh, from, from, you know, traveling, you know, wanting to be kidnapped to how you approach Bella, you know, that's uh, very courageous. Um, so, so you must have worked with a lot of people and you've seen what this soul blazing, this process can do for them. Can you share a few stories of what you've seen in people? What do you mean? Like independent people? Yeah. Just people who have gone through this process with you, you know, of kind of liberating their soul in a sense. Yeah. Bella's one story where she went from being the bully to like the angel and then raised money. Other clients. Here's an interesting one someone came to me from New York. A friend of mine said, I want you to meet this guy. He needs, uh, he's been in therapy for 10 years, once a week. And he's from New York and he's looking for a new therapist here because he just got a job with a casting. Um, he was casting, um, TV shows. I forget which one, but mm-hmm. a game shows, game shows. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. So he comes into my office and he tells me, yeah, I've been in therapy for 10 years. I'm, you know, Jewish. And he goes, you know, we liked therapy. And like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right. I go, how long are you planning on being in therapy? He goes, oh, I'm looking for someone forever. You know? So like, if I stay here, like I want you for the next 20 years until I die. I'm like, all right, then I said, well, I'm not really a therapist. I'm a soul blazer. You know, he's like, okay, what's that? I'm like, well, let's you talk first. I said, tell me who you are and what's going on. So bottom line is his story was he can't connect to people. He was a good looking guy in his early thirties in great shape and a good job. He got a game show casting and he got to travel to five or six or seven cities on a bus to go casting through like middle America. Then they come back and it's a fun job. But he said, what I really want to do is direct documentaries. And he said, I can't get a directing job. I go, have you tried writing as well? I can't really write, but I've been in this business for like 10 years and I want to go to the next level. 
but I can't. And he said, I can't make connections with people for some reason, because that's how you make it in this business. You, you know, you grow and then you connect and everyone helps everyone. He goes, I can't do that for some reason. So I thought, oh, wow, he's been in therapy for 10 years and he's good looking and he's got all this going for him. So I, all right, stand up. This is like after 10 minutes of him talking, he's like, all right. I said, turn around. He turned around and I said, turn towards me and tell me you're gay. And then he's like, well, I'm not gay. I'm like, just do it. This is an exercise. I'm, he said, I'm gay. And then I said, turn around tell me again. Then he's like, ah, and he's like, Lisa, I'm gay. And I said, turn around, tell me again. Then I embodied, you know, cause again, soul blazing comes from not just the Mathena, but it comes from, I studied at the groundlings. So the who, what, where, and putting on a mask, you know, being other people improv. And it is about, I went to Lee Strasberg and studied there. And that is about sense memory going back to childhood of what did you feel this and that? So I said, so I embodied what he shared about his mom and his dad, his mom was, you know, his dad was really tough and his mom was someone who just followed his dad. So I became his dad. Then I went, I can't believe you're gay. You know, then he's like, ah, I said, turn around, tell me you're gay again. And I said, then I said, mom, I'm like, you're ruining my marriage with my husband because of who you are. You know, he's like, I'm not, I'm like, just turn around, tell me you're gay. Then he turned around again. And finally he said, Lisa, I'm gay. I'm like, what? You know, I didn't even know. So I was just pushing a button in him that I thought would trigger something else. so I could get to the truth. So he started crying. I'm like, what? And he said, I am gay. And I'm going, I said, are you dating anyone? He goes, no. He said, and he lives in West Hollywood, which is, you know, where all of them live. He drove an hour every day or whatever, a couple of times a week to go to gay clubs to get hookups or meet someone, but he couldn't have any strong lasting relationships because he couldn't bring them back. Then he'd come back to West Hollywood. So he was never in relationships or he faked female relationships as people out, but never got too close. So he wouldn't, you know, nobody would know the difference. So I said, you can never make it in life if you're not connected to yourself. You don't even allow your soul to be seen. So how could you grow in a company, a business? You can't just, oh, I want to do this. I'm doing all the right steps. If you're so inauthentic to yourself, no one's going to want to be with you. They're going to go, I don't know why I don't like that guy, but something's off. Or, oh, I like him, but mm, don't want to get too close. Something's off. Because if, if we're getting to know each other, I'm going to go, guess what happened? Da, 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 da. And we're going to feel closeness. Every time we get together, the relationship deepens a little, especially if it's five years, 10 years. But if you don't ever have that with someone, you're like, Oh, we just don't really connect nice person, but we really don't connect. And you're off with people that you connect with. So I said, okay. So he paid for eight sessions. This is when I was eight, that sessions, you have to pay up front for a fee. I said, okay, this is session number one by our next week. You have to do this homework. And I said, you have to write down what your name of your documentary is. And we're going to create, uh, I, I worked for the BBC doing a documentary. So I said, this is how the binder looks like. I said, you're going to do your own documentary about coming out of the closet. He's like, what? I'm like, yes. And he's like, I can't do that. My dad. And I'm like, this is what you're going to do. Or I don't see you again. You lose your money because you came here for soul blazers help. So he's like, okay, fine. So he came back with a notebook and we helped, you know, I helped him put it together. And then he was going on tour. So we went to, I said, you're going to go uh, write a letter to all the gay clubs in all these cities and tell them you're coming. And on this night, you're going to interview people. So he did. He started interviewing all these people on that tour. And then he ended up calling his dad and telling him he was gay. And he named the documentary, Dad, I'm Gay. Oh. 
And it was so powerful. And he gave me this whole thing in the beginning. Oh, thank you to the soul blazer or whatever. And he did that within eight months, nine months, it was all finished. And it was so powerful. And he felt so much better than everyone around him said, I knew he's like, everyone knew I go, of course they knew, <laughs> you know, because of your vibe or your, if you're working with someone every day, if you've never had a relationship for a while and, you know, just everyone knew. And he's like, even my parents said they knew, but they, they'd rather me, you know, don't ask, don't tell just, we don't need to hear it. We don't want to know about it. So they said they never, you know, expressed, you know, we think you're this. They said, we just don't want to know, but they said, we know, we know, we don't have to talk about it, you know? So they didn't disown him, but they just said, let's just keep that quiet. But he said, oh my God, I feel so much better. So now he's been in great relationships and his life's thriving and all that stuff. And that was in one session within 20 minutes of changing his whole business. So basically it's the Mathena again. It's pulling out a secret that he has that he thinks is a secret, but everyone knows because everything about us is written on our forehead. When you walk in a room, you could say, I know it's this person's uh, insecure, secure. If they're really, if they've got their act together, if they're lazy, if they're a giver or a taker, if they have hidden agendas or if they're authentic, you know, all that's right here, especially if you're trained to see it. Hmm. So people don't think that, oh, I'm masking this. I have this mask on. So nobody's going to see. Yeah, they see. So especially trained people, especially people that have been around the blocks, that means casting agents, directors, producers, they see a newbie coming in going, oh, I could have, uh, I could meet to them. They're, they'll do it because they're vulnerable and they're this or that, or they're so desperate or they want it. And so they're always right. Or this person won't, but if I push them enough, they will, or they, they know, they know everything. So that was a uh, amazing. Yeah, that's a drastic example. Yeah. That's, that's a drastic one. Yeah. There was a plastic surgeon that I worked with. I did a retreat in Costa Rica and it was 40 people and everyone was participating. And he had applied like three nights before at like two in the morning. And it was a soul blazing retreat. So at the end of the retreat, I had a one-on-one -on -one with everyone to wrap up. What was your experience? We had three, four teachers. So, but I was one that let me wrap up. How was your experience? Tell me this and gave them one private session. And he said, so when he came in, I'm like, you're barely there. What he said, oh, I really came here to take pictures. And I haven't been to Costa Rica and I kind of want to spend time on my own. And I said, you Googled a soul blazer at two in the morning and you paid all this money for this retreat. You could have just come here on your own and taken pictures. No, I want to be part of a group and I wanted this and that, but I don't really need therapy. I said, you know what? Leave the room because I knew a little bit about him. It's like, what do you mean? I said, leave the room and walk in, you know? So he leaves the room Then I'm laying on the couch and then he walks in. I'm like, Oh shit, he's home. Kids hide. You know, cause I knew he had four kids and a wife. Then he's like, what are you doing? I said, that's how your wife feels about you. When you come home, nobody likes you. You're like this, you know, incredible angry force and your kids run and hide from you. Your wife doesn't like you. She divorced you if she didn't need the money. And I said, go out of the room again. And then I laid on, pretend I was in bed and I was a patient of his. Then I said, pretend you're coming to check on me. I'm like, ah, get away from me. Your negative energy is keeping me sick. And it's like, what are you talking about? This is the dialogue. And I went back and forth with him for 10 minutes. But this is the dialogue that people feel when you're around you. I said, you have really bad energy. You don't care about people. You don't care about your wife, your kids. You don't care about your patients. So I could tell you don't care about you. You're arrogant. You're rude. You do not make one friend here. You're kind of insulting me. Like, oh, I don't want to come to your thing. You're coming and you're walking away. And it's like, why is he walking away? Then you're distracting me because I'm going, why is he away? What's going on? And he's like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. I go, yeah, that's how you do life. It's all about you, you, you. So nobody likes you. Everyone hates you. 
you? <laughs> and he's like, ah. So I said, okay, what would you, long story short, what would you like to do? And he ended up saying, my parents needed a doctor, a lawyer, and I hate law. So I decided to become a doctor. I hate blood. I hate this. I hate that. But I've been doing this for my parents. Now I'm successful at it and I have kids and I have to stay doing it because I'm married and I don't want to be married. I had too many kids. I, you know, I'm a loner. I'm a da, 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 da. So I went through this whole thing. So I, long story short, I told him he needs to quit his job and become a writer. Cause that's, he's very smart, has all these stories from everything that he's done and tell the story about how you're pushed into a career and how, even if you make it to the top, you're still not successful inside because you are not happy. And what's the goal in life is really to be happy and to be a blessing in the world. Who are, who are you loving and who's loving you? Nobody's loving him and he's loving nobody. So he ended up quitting and becoming an author and being successful at that. And when he wrote me and said, look at my book, I'm like, are you kidding me? You actually listened. He's like, yes. And so that was another. Has he become a nicer person? Are people enjoying his presence? Yes. And he got a divorce, but then he's a better father and that he wasn't torturing her anymore. And he's a loner. He said, I just don't like people. I like to be by myself. He has all this wisdom and he'll just hang out with people for a few hours here and there during the week. And he's home alone all the time. He said, this is where I should be. I'm not, it's just, that's not me. So create a life that works for him and he doesn't have to bite others because he's not forced to be in a situation that he doesn't want to be in. And his kids are older. So it's not like their babies in the house are all in college or grown. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I so it's really like like shock therapy in a way. And it's, uh, come on, we don't have time to waste. Yeah. yeah. Now I see why you're calling it so blazing. I mean, you were blazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're just blasting at them. Yeah. That's, that's what woke them up. It's very cool. Yeah. Okay. So this yeah. has been such a fun conversation. So if people want to find you and want to work with you, how can they find you? They could go to soulblazing.com. You could put that up, you know, when you post this soulblazing.com. And the first step is to take the imposter quiz on the website Mm -hmm. and find out what dominant imposter is running your life because there's seven of them. You know, there's the victim, overthinker, the fixer, the judge, the um, seductor, the joker. So, and then the, the authentic soul. So, in order to get to the authentic soul, sometimes you'll have the victim imposter. Then you start going, oh, let me fix that. But then the judge will pop up. Then you're going, oh, I didn't even know I had that. And sometimes you have the judge and the seductor at the same time or this. So you start seeing it. So when you listen to your thoughts, I kept a pen and paper with me. I, if I'm talking to you and I'm like, going, oh, my God, I'm so nervous to talk to you. Oh, what am I going to say? I go, oh, whose voice is that? Oh, that is, you know, my mom's, she was always nervous about interviews. Okay, mom. So I write her name down and I put authentic soul and mom, you are worthy of doing this. Then my mom, mom, you know, thank you for this, but this was your baggage. It's not mine. I'm going to give it back to you. Thank you so much. You know, when you start doing that, then when you do it again, you're like, mom, there you are again. Didn't we have this conversation? You don't take it seriously. Then you start going, oh, that's just this person or, or this one. Oh, that's my second grade teacher. You know, that's the bully at school, or that was my ex-boyfriend, or that was my sibling, or that was, then you start knowing where the wounds came from, if you're not good enough, or it could be society. Women are this, you know, the whole societal thing. Oh, that's society. That's the brainwashing for Middle Easterners. For me, it was, if you make your own money, you have no worth. 
because that means nobody wants to support you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get a job, you know, all this stuff is like, wait, I want to work or if I make money, so I can never make money before I could get money in other ways, but not through a job that was substantial because it was so ingrained in me until I did this work going, no, you have value when you make your own money. Your value comes from doing something you love, finding your gift and giving it away, learning to love yourself so you could accept love and give love. Nothing to do with that. That is brainwashing. So you get married by 25 before you expire your shelf life at 20. So so get married, get married, get married, you know? So I'm like, no. So I waited till I was 40 to get married. <laughs> like, I'm not going into that. Paradigm. <laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to, you know, challenge all the ideas that have been brought to us. So I've worked a lot with all these different cultures, Italian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, Indian that have, you've got to get married. Here's your husband and women. This is women's role. This is men's role, because I think we're more androgynous now. I think male and female are getting combined and we're all like blending and we're all supposed to do everything. You know, men could be makeup artists, hairstylists and cooks and all this. And women could be lawyers and judges and presidents and prime ministers. We're all the same. It's not the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. So I try to help and honor that and uplift women, especially to say, get out of that stereotype. And if you want that, choose it, but don't you have to do it because society told you that. Do what yes. makes you happy. If you want to be a housewife, if you want to be a mom, if you don't want to work, if you want to be with someone, you know, whoever it is, you're choosing it. You're not getting married because someone else is saying, this is who you have to marry. And this is why yeah. and once you do that, your life starts to soar. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to go online and take your quiz and see yeah. what kind of imposters are, you know, wreaking any havoc. Yeah, you got them. All sure got them. have one or two at least. Yeah, some people have all of them. I think I had all of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, they still come up. They never leave because it's a practice. It's like um, meditation. If you meditate for two years, you can't go, okay, I'm good. Never have to meditate again. They still come up once you stop practicing. You go, oh my God, that again? I dealt with that like when I was 28. Right. It's like, okay, let's work on that again. And just being conscious of what are my thoughts? And if you don't choose your thoughts, your your imposters choose to be your thoughts. And it's always going to be negative, repeating the same things. They say we have 40 to 70,000 thoughts a day, and all of them mainly are negative. Maybe you'll have one or two. Oh, I get to go see this person or something, but the rest are negative. Yeah. Yeah. Watch your thoughts. Get rid of those thoughts. Yes. That has been quite a theme on this show. I've had several... Yeah, people in diverse fields talking about how these 60,000 or something thoughts, you know, the majority, uh, majority being negative and how that's like poison that's constantly polluting, you know, our, I guess, our vibrational field or, or just who we are, you know, in the center. So um, definitely thank you for the great work and, and for all the ventures you, you've had and you turned them into you know, real tools to help people. This is really wonderful. So thank you so much for being on this show. And uh, lots of people gets inspired and gets their soul placed by you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, soulblazing.com. Yes, wonderful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy the content. And if so, please rate and follow this podcast. To reach me, you can contact Uplift Longevity Center. That is Uplift with a Y. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joy Kong MD. See you next time.